Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont and Professor Richard LaDuke explore the early history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and the life and teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith. They examine the original historical sources and provide context for events of the past. They approach the history of the Church with faith, expertise, and humor. Hi, welcome to another episode of the Standard of Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Garrett Dirkmont, and I'm joined by my friend, Professor Richard LaDuke. Hello, Genrith. In this episode <laughs> of the Standard of Truth podcast, we're going to answer a couple of uh, email questions that we that we have. We're going to do a little uh, apostles and apostates. But before we before we jump into that, wanted to talk a little bit about the tour that we just concluded. Garrett, uh, your thoughts. Well, I got to say, um, you know, there was only a few times that we, we nearly, uh, you know, had to have a panic attack because we weren't able to make our scheduled times. Honestly, the, the tour was amazing. Um, those of you who are listening uh, uh, to, you know, every week's podcast, and this isn't your first week, uh, you, you heard our little live audience. My son, Kai, uh, when he heard that, uh, said... So you guys just piped in the sound of people clapping. That's what he said. So my own son doesn't believe that we could have gotten people to actually clap in an in-person broadcast. Well, in fairness, they weren't clapping on their own. They were clapping when I cued them to clap because I don't know that they would necessarily would have clapped on their own. Uh, but uh, they. So we we had an applause sign. Is what well, you're saying? Well, I said there was an exit sign, and I said as long as that's lit up, that's when I want you to applaud. I see. Um, I see. It was it was an absolute blast, um, and there were uh, there were forty six total people that were on the tour, and uh, uh, present company excluded uh, some of the best people that I've ever met. Just absolutely wonderful. Yeah, and and you know it only took Richard, you know, trying for a few hours to track down a fresca to to really. <laughs> really win over at least one of our, our tour members. Sad. Although, although Jeff seems a little put out now that, uh, <laughs> he didn't know that he didn't know that Fresca was in the offing and, uh, he, he kind of feels like maybe he's been Fresca shorted. The standard of truth podcast. It's all about the one Garrett. And uh, yeah, we was- leave the 90 and nine in the wilderness. We go out to find the Fresca. <laughs> so one of the, one of the things that was unique. So Garrett, you've led, 14, 15 tours uh, on different tour companies, right? Um, yeah. Different sites. And they're all wonderful and, and great. One of the things that actually the highlight of the entire tour was the amount of hard time that was given to each other on the <laughs> WhatsApp. The yeah. WhatsApp was absolutely hilarious. It was it was very fun as people uh, of similar sensibilities to uh, Garrett and myself uh, were on there and and uh, there were great spiritual experiences, and there were great hilarious experiences. And um, on the whole, it was it was an absolute blast. And we're gonna we're gonna do it again. Um, I think Garrett, we are looking at next summer. I think we're looking at potentially October or November of next summer. <laughs> uh, now that's it. That's an homage to the fact that uh, I think every time Richard ever announced the tour dates, it was always wrong. 
So he's just going to go all in at this point. Well, no, we're going to try to go. We're going to try to go uh, like June third. Uh, you know, uh, weather was the weather was lovely. Um, it was. It was the best weather you could have possibly had. We honestly had so many great experiences, though. And in fact, I, I got to say, we we had like a miraculous experience where um, Rachel's mom. Uh, of of Rachel's mom's fame, which everyone on the tour got to meet, right, uh, right, and they also got to meet my mom. They just came from Antarctica. Arctic, yeah, they, Arctica, yeah. By the way, Boy, which was, which is the only reason why they thought the tour was any good. I mean, because just, if you barren. just came from Antarctica, it's like, well, there's more green on this tour, I guess. <laughs> but uh, their their granddaughter, who's actually in my ward. Uh, she was on a youth trip at the exact same time going across country and somehow, somehow we stopped at the Morley farm in Ohio, which is the, the Morley, which is the least attended of any church. Yeah. Site. The Morley farm doesn't have missionaries at it anymore. Um, it's kind of a self-guided and, and there's nothing really there. Um, and that's what we do at standard or truth tours. <laughs> we we want to take you to places not only that no one else goes, but that no one would ever want to go because there's nothing there. There's no, there's no visitor center. There's no missionaries. No sign. No nothing. There was a plaque. You okay. know, it'd been, it had been graffitied by some local Ohio ruffian named Eber Howe probably. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it, there's some great miracles that took place in the church there. And, and while we were there, their granddaughter's bus full of kids stopped and they saw each other and it was, it was a beautiful experience. So for both uh, Rex and Rachel's mom, um, we'll still keep her name anonymous because we don't want, we don't, we don't want her inundated with the fan mail that we know she's going to get. So there, so there was, um, I get asked all the time, Richard. What was your favorite part of the tour? Uh, all the time, I'm, I'm, I'm oh. constantly just you have people walking up to you on the street and saying, "Yeah, it. Richard, what was your favorite part of the tour?" And um, and what is it that you do? And so, I my favorite part of the tour was the fast and testimony meeting in Kirtland, Ohio. Now, now there's there was a, there's now there's a, there are a couple of reasons for that. Several of them I will not share, but a couple of them I will. So. The first thing is is that um, as we are headed over to uh, church in, uh, in Kirtland, Ohio, uh, we have <laughs> we had a very tight window to get back to the hotel, to get uh, in, to change our clothes, to grab our bags, to put them under the bus, to, to grab something to eat, and then to get to the Kirtland Temple. The Kirtland Temple was pretty lined up with appointments, and so we have a very small window in which to be able to to go, the tour ends with the Kirtland Temple, right? It's it's absolutely beautiful, and it was it was great. And so, uh, church in Kirtland gets out at ten, uh, or starts at ten a.m. So we're just going to go to sacrament meeting and then back and blah blah blah. Things are pretty pretty tight. So, as we're headed over to the church, Garrett is very clear that <laughs> I don't I don't want you to talk to anyone. I don't want you to make friends. I want you, as soon as they pray, as soon as amen is said, I want you to stand up and run to the bus. Run to the bus. Um, uh, Garrett's mother required uh, a, a kind of a, a walker crutch, and he's like, we'll leave her. She can't make it. There isn't time. 
So we need to run. She's a gift to Ohio at this point because we don't have time to get her on the bus. That's right. We, have, we must go. So right at 11, we've got to go. And so uh, it was a second, it's a second Sunday in uh, in June. And so, you know, it's a, it's a standard sacrament meeting. Right. Our fear was, you know, what if it's a missionary farewell or a high councilman is speaking? Sure. It's a bit of a wild card. You don't know what you're going to get. Um, and, uh, and so our bus driver who, uh, Pete, shout out to Pete, uh, who was absolutely great on the entire, uh, tour. He was a great guy. He, he asked if he could come to church with us. And, and we said, which is, oh. which is a really fatal mistake to make in a busload of Mormons. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. And, and I said, no, of course you can't come. We don't yeah. want to come. Well, in hindsight, you should have said, of course you can't come. What, wait, let me go in and see who's talking and what they're talking about first. And then, you know, I honestly feel like sometimes when we bring investigators to church, we should, you know, have, to have the translation stuff that you can put on people, you know, in case, you know, English isn't their first language. What if we put that on everybody? Yeah. And then just someone was speaking into their ear. Um, yeah, he's saying a lot of stuff that we don't actually believe right now, but he's saying that we do. Okay, no, no, no. Oh, yeah, baptism, baptism. We believe in baptism. Yep. So, yeah, he thinks baptism is important. Well, so, Garrett, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know this on your mission in Wisconsin, but in California, when people would come, investigators would come to church, they were like this little this little precious bird in your in the palm of your hand. And you were just so, so glad that they were there and hoping that they had this great thing, hoping that somebody didn't say something nuts. And as, as we were walking in, we were telling, we were telling Peter's like, hey, so this is what this is what church is like. This is kind of how this goes. He was raised Catholic, and it's like, hey, so it's a little like this. Anyway, so um, as we're going in, we found out that the Columbus Temple had just been rededicated the week before, and so this was a fast and testimony. And um, and so then I had to explain to Pete what a fast testimony meeting was, and it was like, all right, all right, Pete. So so here's what happens. Um, once a month, uh, members of the congregation, they go up and they share their testimony, their feelings about Jesus and the gospel. Um, many of the things that you've heard Garrett talk about on the, on the tour for the past uh, week, um, sometimes it's beautiful, it's profound, it's spiritual, and it's great. And sometimes it's crazy. And Pete, just so you know, when someone talks about their cat for a half hour, we also think that's weird. So if someone does that, I just want you to be aware. Anyway, the problem now is, oh, go ahead, Garrett. Well, I was going to say, whatever level of prep you gave him <laughs> was woefully inadequate. Whatever <laughs> level of prep you gave him, I can tell you right now, uh, it was. Uh, well, so what was great is, so we get there, the ward's. Super nice. Everyone's oh, everyone's, yeah. everyone's always wonderful and great. And so um, we find out three minutes before that two buses of, of the youth group are now coming. And so my wife leans over to Pete and says, all right, Pete, here's what's <laughs> going to happen. Um, those kids are going to sit back. And then about five minutes before, a bunch of kids are going to go up and bear their testimonies. We're going to go way over on time. Garrett's going to be stressed and it's going to be hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's literally that's literally what yeah, happened. It's literally what happened. Uh, Becky is now going to be referred to as Deborah the prophetess. Um, <laughs> so, so what was great is so Garrett was so direct on how tight the budget or the budget how tight the um, <laughs> the budget didn't even exist. That was the problem in the first place. <laughs> how tight the schedule was. Anyway, three minutes before one kid goes up, they were all holding back and. 
And and the thing is, is that many of these kids were in some of these very sacred places, filling the spirit, many of them maybe for the first time in a way that was very profound. And so, but the first kid goes, gets up with three minutes left and then three more kids get up and then two more kids get up and Pete is rolling on the ground laughing as this is happening. And everyone that's on our tour is looking back at Garrett who on our way down essentially said, and Garrett, correct me if I'm wrong, (laughs) that um, you need to be aggressive in getting to the bus. And I said, push people down if you have to, to which Garrett replied that, um, that you have to punch someone in the face to give them the opportunity to turn the other cheek. I, I said it in jest. I, I said, look, I know people are going to want to talk to you. Talk to them before the meeting. We're getting there an hour early. You want to walk around, take pictures, meet everybody, shake hands, do that before. After the meeting, I don't care if what they want to say to you after the meeting, when we've got to go or we're going to miss our, our appointment at the temple. So, so after the meeting, you know, you, you, you're shoving people down flights of stairs to get to the bus. Yeah. And I did say in jest, in jest, something along like, well, sometimes you have to punch people in the face in order to give them the opportunity to turn the other cheek. Yeah. Well, so anyway, we got, we got to the hotel. The problem is then the keys aren't going to be working. We had like a three minute window, Kim and Brent, they're sprinting down the hallways uh, to, to get to their rooms. Anyway, it was, it was, it was great. So our, we're looking at next, uh, next year, uh, June 3rd, uh, heading into, so a little bit of American history and a little bit of church history. So into likely Baltimore details Mm -hmm. to be coming, but we'll do some Gettysburg, um, some, um, McHenry, right? Was that for McHenry? Yeah. If we go there, that'd be great. Um, and then, and then the, the standard, church history tour from there um minus uh, vermont uh, sorry to uh our vermont contingent um it is, is a little sharon's a little out of the way so we're changing things up a little <laughs> bit um uh, and then uh and then so that would go the third through the ninth and then right after that uh, missouri and uh illinois the 10th through the 15th of june so that's that's tentative what we're having we're we're arranging things with the uh, the buses and the hotels and all the stuff. And as soon as we have that squared away, then we'll put that on the website. And we hope that uh, y'all join us. It was it was an absolute blast. We really it was some of the some some amazing people. Honestly, we it was the most fun that I've had. I mean, just uh, uh, both uh, hanging out with with Becky and Richard, along with me and Angie. We had our daughters with us, and but we had just some amazing people. Uh, come uh, on this tour. So that's what we look forward to is, is meeting some more, but let's get into, let's, let's get, get into, into our mailbag. Yes. Let's get into the uh, Phoebe Draper mailbag here. Um, this one uh, family tree says we are brothers. Um, <laughs> that's so the subject. That's the subject. Everyone's um, trying new ways to get Richard to read their email and it seems to be working. It, it, it is obviously working. <laughs> Um, I absolutely love your podcast and sharing stuff with my daughter serving a mission each week. She is in New Hampshire. Say hi to Craig Wilson. Um, uh, That's me saying to your missionary daughter who isn't listening to the podcast. I wish she could listen to your podcast. I promise that if you tell me how I can get the podcast to her each week, I will sign up for premium content. Whoa. Hey, well, 
you know what? We're just okay. desperate enough. We're going to do it. Yeah. You know yeah. Well, so Steve, I'll, I'll, I'll send, uh, I don't know what the rules are. Uh, if, you know, if she was uh, somebody tasked with um, going on and seeing what missionaries have on their phone and deleting it, then she could listen to it like another missionary has done before. Yeah. Uh, I think, was that a missionary in Wisconsin that was illegally listening to it? I think it was. Maybe well, I mean, well, luckily he was listening to that. So, but, you know, you know, we are, we are uh, slowly uploading the audio of our podcast to uh, YouTube, um, which some missions allow people to listen to something on YouTube. But um, I don't know if that will. So, Steve, I'll send you an email and we'll give you the direct link to that. We'll them. figure something out. We'll yeah. figure something out. Although, frankly, Steve, we, we don't even know if you have a daughter. I mean, <laughs> we, don't, we don't know you. I really don't believe uh, you that you're going to sign we, up for premium. It would be different if you were already signed up for premium. Then we could trust you. Plus, we'd have your credit card information. But now, now we're just going off of the, the, the belief that maybe – you know what? Maybe you have a daughter. Yeah. You, you sign up first, and then uh, and then we'll yeah. Then we'll, talk to us. Yeah, then talk to us. <laughs> um, just kidding, Steve. I'll send I'll send an email over to you that'll have some of that stuff. Um, this next one, uh, dear Jewish French Canadian, soon to be Doctor <laughs> Leduke. <laughs> I hope that's your title, Jewish French Canadian yeah. Doctor Leduke, and and the Doctor Dirkman. So when I so on my, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before, but on on my letters. So on my mission, I wrote letters. Um, and, uh, in my return address was our mission address, whatever. And it was super Jewish Mormon missionary was what I had as the, as the, as the return name there above, but, um, greetings from the once option of the saints in the Willamette Valley of the state of Oregon. I was referred to your podcast toward the end of December, 2022 by my elders quorum president, as a good source of learning about the historical sources of doctrine. First of all, great elders quorum president. The recommendation <laughs> came with a warning. Oh, great. Okay. Well, you know what? I take back the thing I said about the elders quorum president. The recommendation came with a warning that the two of you can be quite silly sometimes. There's no evidence of that. And if I can, if I can endure the self-deprecating humor, I might enjoy it. Since that introduction, I have listened to all of the free content and just finished catching up last week. While I am a sap for self-deprecation, and it is probably the primary reason why I haven't been translated yet, but I digress. I can feel fortunate that I, I don't uh, have a degenerate gambling addiction. I, I would like to refer you to President Hinckley's 2005 conference address from April on gambling. And have avoided giving betting lines far after an event has taken place in the Back to the Future 2 Biff-style wealth-generating scheme. <laughs> Happy to see that the Lakers got you. Well, thanks, Rex. I appreciate it. He, he goes on. He had an additional question. We're not going to be able to get to it in this particular episode, but hopefully sometime in the in the future. Um, and then kind of a, uh, this email here that kind of will lead us toward uh, apostles and apostates. Uh, oh, no, I skipped one. I skipped one from uh, our good friend uh, Damien. I apologize. Honestly, it's been a little tough on my testimony to have all these faith-promoting stories debunked. <laughs> Fortunately, we can still look to the inspiring true stories of the Steed family to uplift us in times of turmoil. For those of you who don't know, that's the work of the gory family, which is a work of fiction. Well, so, well, 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 now, now you're going to... Sorry, David. It's a work yeah. of fiction. 
Thanks for holding the standard up high. P.S. I listen to your podcast so much I feel like texting you guys during the podcast when I have a joke. Thanks for teaching and uplifting while it feels like I'm just hanging out with my friends. I am a lonely, lonely man. Uh, P.P.S. Uh, if you could send a shout out to my friend Brian Watkins, who gets everyone he knows to listen to your podcast, that would be great. Oh, thanks, Every Brian. Time. Um, my name is mentioned on the podcast. I'm usually an episode behind trudging through the premium. Uh, That's funny. Um, we should have named one of the podcasts trudging through the content. We we really missed an well, opportunity there. The apostles and apostates. We stole that from Damien too, actually. I think um, Damien just wants to believe we stole it from him. PPPS. Are you going to do a series on the CES letter, a.k.a. AKA, now that's what I call Anti-Mormonism Volume 12. That'd be hilarious. That's very funny, the collection of uh, greatest hits from the 70s. Um, All right. Hello, Garrett and Chancellor LaDuke. My name's Alec. My fiance took Garrett's class this past semester and brought me to a lecture, and it was fantastic. It was the day Garrett offered an A on the final exam to anyone that could (laughs) name the 13th apostle who... uh, the 13th apostle was when Orson Pratt was readmitted and one gal nailed it with a mass alignment. If that rings any bells, I've, I've become a fan of the podcast since then. I didn't send the email um, and came back to it two weeks ago. Oh, so he's, 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 this is an edit uh, yeah. saying that uh, he would currently be proud owner of a, if he was caller 10, he would have been a proud owner of a Chili's gift certificate. Anyway, <laughs> he works at the MTC teaching Spanish as well as English as a foreign language. And a story I'd love to share with new missionaries is Joseph Smith's experience in Liberty Jail. Talking about trials and experience, since many missionaries are experiencing new challenges in the MTC to a different degree. I would love to hear some deeper insights specifically on the prophet's experiences inside of Liberty Jail and how it molded him going forward. I'm close to becoming a premium listener. Give me a seven-word argument why I should subscribe. Wow. Thanks, Alec. A seven-word argument. So I have to, like, count those out. So it'd be like, hey, Alec, we need your money now. Is that that? You're going to go with please, but I'm glad you will. No, no, no. It's a demand. We demand that you... We demand that you you grant us uh, that. Now, um, well, while I'm not probably going to answer that question right now, the whole topic of apostles has really kind of piqued our interest. I mean, um, uh, with the idea of, of covering some of the apostles and apostates, I thought maybe first we could talk about the organization of the Quorum of the Twelve to begin with. I know we talked about this earlier um, many, many, many podcasts ago, many, many free frescas and 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 inside jokes about about various aspects, things coming from Damien ago. We we talked about it, and it's probably a surprise to a lot of members of the church when they learn that the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles is not immediately organized. Uh, I know that when I was younger, I always simply assumed that. Well, you know, Jesus' church had 12 apostles, so therefore Joseph Smith reorganized the church here with 12 apostles, which he does, but not immediately. Um, 
Now, there is a revelation that is given that is going to talk about the calling of the Quorum of the Twelve, and that's Doctrine and Covenants section 18. Um, In this section, it's going to explain that the, the three witnesses are going to be the ones who have the privilege of calling these new apostles, finding them, seeking them out. And it makes it sound like it's going to be pretty soon. Uh, the, 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 the revelation is given before the church is even organized. And so it makes you think, well, you know, we're going to have apostles, you know, pretty quick, you know, it's at the summer of 1829 that you get this. It's uh, given to Oliver Cowdery and David Whitmer. And they are told that they are going to have this uh, ability. If, if you go to Doctrine and Covenants section 18, um, I think, you know, if we're not going to read all of it, uh, but verse 37 says, I give unto you Oliver Cowdery and also unto David Whitmer, that you shall search out the 12 who shall have the desires of which I have spoken and by their desires and their works, you shall know them. And when you have found them, you shall show them, show these things unto them. So they're given this, this duty that they're supposed to be seeking out and finding out who these apostles are going to be. And that when they found them, they're going to share this revelation that was received before they were ever called. It's actually a really fascinating thing. Of course, the Lord knows that he's eventually going to call 12 apostles in his church. But it's not for five, six more years uh, that at five and a half, I guess we were going to get technical before these men are actually called. And Oliver Cowdery will say when, when they finally called, you know, you're, you're the people we've been looking for all this time. Their primary calling is going to be to, to preach about Jesus and, and to share the gospel. And so that's that that's there from the beginning of the church, from before the beginning of the church. But it's not until February of 1835 that the apostles are actually called. We can actually go to the minutes of that meeting where we we hear the apostles uh being called and 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 set apart. Uh this is from the minutes and discourses of 14 and 15 February, 1835. So if you didn't think you had a better reason to remember Valentine's day, you married men out there. The other reason why to remember it is it's when the quorum of the 12 was first organized. So if you can't remember Valentine's day because of your spouse, at least remember this is the day that the quorum of the 12 was organized, or at least uh, when their callings are made. But this is the minutes of that meeting. A hymn was sung for uh, the dismission. Hark, listen to the trumpeters. They call for volunteers. President Hiram Smith closed by prayer. So they, they that's how the previous meeting closed. And now they have a new meeting coming. They met pursuant to adjournment, and President Hiram Smith opened the meeting by prayer. Apparently, Hiram Smith is like the only one allowed to pray. I mean, he's, he's, he's opening, he's closing. He's probably like, I said it this morning. Um, <laughs> that's right, what my Hiram, kids say. Hiram's like your kids, like my kids, like every kid. Yeah, like every kid. I I pray to church. You know, I'm gonna have to check with all it's their Wednesday. leaders to see if them. It's, it's Wednesday, Max. Yeah. I know it's fine. It's time to pray again. I I prayed last week over the meal. Anyway, uh, the first business of the meeting was for the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon 
to pray each one and then proceed to choose 12 men from the church as apostles to go to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. The three witnesses united in prayer, Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. So that's something else I think a lot of people don't know about the calling of the, of, uh, the, the original quorum of the 12 apostles. We, we would assume that it's Joseph Smith that chooses these men out. But Doctrine and Covenant section 18 had given that to the witnesses. And so here in this meeting, the three witnesses are present, and they're the ones who are going to pray in order to in order to make this calling. It's not, though, as if the three witnesses just, you know, decided that they have the authority to give these keys or, or this power to the apostles. In fact, the minutes of the meeting also record, these three witnesses were then blessed by the laying on of the hands of the presidency. So here's what's interesting. The three witnesses have been told they're going to be the ones who select the apostles. Okay. And so before they do it, they are given authority by the church presidency, which includes Joseph Smith and Frederick G. Williams. And then they have the authority to do it. So it's it's this really odd thing, right? Well, who's going to call the Quorum of the Twelve? God had already given that responsibility to the three witnesses of the Book of Mormon. It's, it's a kind of an interesting thing when you think about it, that the witnesses of the Book of Mormon are considered so central to the reestablishment of the church that God gives them a special role in calling the Quorum of the Twelve. Is now is, is there any is there any hard feeling perhaps on the part of these three witnesses that they're not part of the quorum of the twelve, or do they really not necessarily understand fully what the quorum of the twelve would be or how that would how that would work? So I think uh, yes and no and yes. I, I think I think uh, the, the reality is no one knows how important the quorum of the twelve is going to become. Now, look, they have a revelation before the church is even organized saying how important it is to find them. So it's certainly it's certainly understood that it's an important position. And look, what do they have in front of them from the Bible? That the Quorum of the Twelve is pretty important, right? And what do they have from the Book of Mormon? That the Twelve Disciples that Jesus calls are pretty important. So, so I do think that there's an understanding that this is important, but, you know, since they're the ones selecting these apostles, that kind of places them in a position above them, doesn't it? Yeah. For Oliver Cowdery, it, it would be the least, uh, I don't know, the least uh, uh, possible to be offended by this because he's actually a member of the presidency of the high priesthood that, that's giving them the authority, right? The presidency of the high priesthood is... Frederick G. Williams, Sidney Rigdon, uh, Joseph Smith Sr., Hiram Smith, um, and and Oliver Cowdery. Well, and Joseph Smith, obviously. And so they're the ones that are going to be giving this authority to call the apostles to the three witnesses. So I think for Oliver Cowdery, you know, he's already uh, the one granting that authority as the second elder of the church. But it often makes me wonder, 
about the fact that when these men apostatize, Oliver Cowdery and, and Martin Harris, David Whitmer, they all apostatize when Joseph is leading the church. Now, David Whitmer doesn't ever come back. And in fact, is going to keep forming his own churches, uniting with other apostate groups and never denying his testimony in the Book of Mormon, but never making intimations about coming back to the church after he leaves. But both Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris do come back to the church after after leaving. And when do they come back to the church? Both of them come back after Joseph's gone, and it is the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles that is running the church. Um, and you have to think that that factors somewhere in there, right? That it's hard for Oliver Cowdery to claim that Brigham Young is illegitimately an apostle when Oliver Cowdery is the one who made Brigham Young an apostle. Right. Right? Right. Similar for Martin Harris. I mean, while you might disagree with Brigham Young, the fact that he has authority and power actually is a witness to the fact that you had authority and power. Otherwise, they wouldn't be apostles. Now, we don't get commentary on that, but that's a very interesting thing to think about. That Oliver Cowdery and Martin Harris are returning to a church where the apostles are paramount, and they, by revelation, are the ones who called those apostles. At any rate, um, they're called. They uh, then they, according to a former commandment, that the minutes talk about the former commandment. What they're talking about is Doctrine and Covenants section eighteen. They proceeded to make a choice of the twelve. The names are as follows: Lyman Johnson, Brigham Young. Heber C. Kimball, Orson Hyde, David W. Patton, Luke Johnson, William McClellan, John F. Boynton, Orson Pratt, William Smith, Thomas B. Marsh, and Parley P. Pratt. Those are the 12 original members of the original Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. Now, who do you think was uh, given this power first? Who, Which of these apostles was was? by our terminology, set apart first or given this blessing first? I mean, by our terminology, we would say ordained, because, uh, but uh, they, they, of course, aren't using all the same um, uh, terminology we are. I, I don't know. No guesses? I mean, come on, Richard. Uh, Thomas Marsh. Great guess. Wrong. Not accurate. Okay. Yes. In fact, I don't know if anyone could guess it except for maybe Alec with his guessing. Uh, well, if he was looking at Alec to guess, by the way, a month after we told him the, the answer. Well, I feel like Alec likes to guess uh, at what we're about to say the same way that we like to pick sporting events long after they were already decided. Yeah, he's a man after our own heart. Yeah, I feel like if he was setting the line on who got ordained first among the Quorum of the Twelve, he would tell us about four weeks from now, but claim that he had actually written it in an email that he never sent. That's right. Um, well, the first would be pretty pretty hard to know, but but it's actually Lyman Johnson who is the first that is uh, given this blessing. Uh, uh, let me continue with the minutes. Lyman Johnson, Brigham Young, and Heber C. Kimball came forward. 
And the three witnesses laid their hands upon each one's head and prayed separately. The blessing of Lyman Johnson was in the name of Jesus Christ, that he should bear the tidings of salvation to nations, tongues, and people until the utmost corners of the earth shall hear the tidings and that he shall be a witness of the things of God to nations and tongues and that holy angels shall administer him occasionally and that no power of the enemy shall prevent him from going forth and doing the work of the Lord and that he should live until the gathering was accomplished according to the holy prophets and that he should be like unto Enoch and your faith shall be likened to his and he shall be called great among all the living and Satan shall tremble before thee and that he shall see the savior come and stand on the earth with power and great glory. So that was that first um, blessing given at the, the ordination of, of Lyman Johnson. Now, by our uh, current understanding, someone right now is probably thinking, A, why did I listen to the first 15 minutes of this podcast? First 20 what the was that? The first 22 minutes of the podcast, and we're going to start putting in here for Rex's Elders Quorum president when he should start listening, when the silliness ends. Well, maybe he likes the silliness, but he's just worried other people won't like the silliness. Well, either way, this will be for Rex's Elders Quorum president. I'm pretty yeah. sure that most of the people listening don't like listening to it. <laughs> I think you're right, actually. It's, it's, it's hate listening. Yeah, people are listening almost angrily to it. Um so you might be wondering, though, uh, aside from why am I still listening? Well, why then is Lyman Johnson not the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles? I mean, he was ordained first, right? Why? Why is it that he's not? Well, it's a good question, but I'm going to leave you there because we're going to first read Brigham Young's uh, blessing. He was the second one ordained. The blessing of Brigham Young was as follows, that he should be strong in body, that he may go forth and gather the elect preparatory to the great day of the coming of the Lord, that he might be strong and mighty, declaring the tidings to the nations that know not God, that he may add 10 talents, that he may come to Zion with many sheaves. He shall go forth from land to land and from sea to sea and shall behold heavenly messengers going forth and his life shall be prolonged and the holy priesthood is confirmed upon thee that he may do wonders in the name of Jesus, that he may cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, go forth from land to land, from sea to sea, and that heathen nations shall even call him God himself if he did not rebuke him them. So that's his blessing. The next is Heber C. Kimball's and so on. In fact, though, those are the only ones that are done on that first day. So when you say, when was the Quorum of the Twelve organized? Well, it's it's a little, it, it, you could have an argument, right? The, the first apostles are called to it on Valentine's Day, on the 14th of February, 1835. But they don't complete doing this until the 15th, until the next day. Then they're going to go through and keep and keep going. So you know, you could always argue that it wasn't really organized till, till all of them were called. At any rate, um, you again might wonder, and, and, you know, maybe the one thing people can get out of this is, well, why is it that 
Lyman Johnson isn't the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles if if he was ordained first. It seems like that that's how we do things today. So so why why isn't that the way it was then? Well, we got to go to another document for that. That's something called the Record of the Twelve. That document helps give the assignments um, of what the Quorum of the Twelve is supposed to be doing, what, what their callings are. And then also, it's going to talk about the way that they are going to, to set themselves in council. Um, it's going to list off all the people that are in the meeting. We won't read them all off. But then the minutes will say, in the midst of this grand assemblage, President Joseph Smith Jr. arose and made many remarks, among which were the following. It will be the duty of the Twelve when in council to take their seats together according to their ages, the oldest to be seated as the head and preside in the first council, the next oldest in the second, and so on until the youngest has presided. So the Quorum of the Twelve is initially organized on the basis of how old people are. Well, so then you go down to what the, what their ages are. And this is why Thomas Marsh is going to be the first president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, because he's obviously the oldest, except that he's not. So I just finished saying the way they're organized is by the basis of age. But the problem is, David W. Patton doesn't know how old he is. Um, well, he gives them an age. He's just wrong. Um, and so had the ages been correctly known, then David W. Patton would have been the, the president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles because he was actually the oldest, even though he he was off on a year about when he was actually born. Kind of goes to the point uh, we've talked about before when we were talking about the first vision. It is not a, a completely uncommon thing for someone to not know exactly how old they are. All of the markers that we have for age today, driver's license, filling out school applications, literally every form you've ever filled out in your life, flying on airplanes, none of those things exist. And so it, it was not, it, I mean, most people did know how old they were, but it's not an uncommon thing to go to a... Uh, even a cemetery and see question marks on people's birth year or to have it unstated, you know, because not everyone knows how old they are. In David W. Patton's case, he was off by a year on when he was born, which of course we can now go back and discern that because we can go back and look at records. He didn't know. And so Thomas Marsh will serve as the first president of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles and he'll serve in that position for three years until he himself will apostatize, which is, is, is going to be part of our apostles and apostates, but we're not going to cover all that right now today. We're just laying the groundwork. Um, David W. Patton then will technically be the president of the Quorum of the Twelve or would have been um, after Marsh leaves. Uh, Marsh apostatizes, but then right after that, David W. Patton is is killed in the Battle of Crooked River. Battle of Crooked River, where the 
Caldwell County Militia in Missouri believe that there is a mob that has been attacking Latter-day Saint settlements in Caldwell County. The Caldwell County Militia goes out after them. David W. Patton is the head of that Caldwell County Militia. It's not actually a mob. It's actually the actual Missouri militia that is just performing these acts of violence and kidnapping. And in that battle, the, the, the resulting battle, David W. Patton is killed. And then you have, you have Brigham Young. The original calling of the Quorum of the Twelve was different than the way we view it today. Originally, the Quorum of the Twelve were called to be a traveling high council. Now, high council doesn't sound like a very big deal to you. So you're thinking, oh, wow, high council, what a, what a, I mean, today, high councilmen are, they are easily readily found. I mean, how many stakes are there in the church? Every one of those stakes has 12 high counselors, right? And people aren't high councilmen for life. So you can find former high councilmen everywhere. So, you know, today we kind of see it as, you know, it's an important calling, but you would never, you know, do a double take because someone said to you, you know what, that man over there, he was in a high council 15 years ago. Oh my goodness. Let's see if we can get his autograph. I mean, you would, you would, you know, it's fine. I'm not denigrating the office in any way, but so there's, today, there's currently just under 42,000 high counselors. There's, you know, about 3,500 stakes. So we had our crack research staff uh, get on that. Right. So current, so there, that's there's a lot. Yeah. There are more people in high councils today than there were members of the church when the quorum of the 12 is called. Let's put it that way. If everyone in the church, when Brigham Young was called to the quorum of the 12, was in the high council, then it would be, it, that would be reflective of it. But back then, there was only one council. There was a standing high council that was there in Kirtland at, at the, the, the seat of government of the church where Joseph was. And originally, the Quorum of the Twelve are given power and authority outside of that place. So their job was to go where there wasn't a stake, and they presided for the church in those areas. So in, in, a, in, in a very odd way of thinking about it, originally the Quorum of the Twelve didn't really have authority in Kirtland. Not that they weren't respected in Kirtland, not that they weren't, you know, considered great guys in Kirtland, but as far as their, their authority for the church, their authority for the church was outside of where the, the church's presidency was. We get a little bit of that from these minutes as well. Um, the 12 apostles have no right to go into Zion or any of its stakes where there is a regular high council established to regulate any matters pertaining thereunto. Now, in today's church, you do, don't get a whole lot of uh, documents that say the Quorum of the Twelve has no right. That's, uh, that, that's not something you see a whole lot, right? But when they're initially called, they are given very specific duties. And one of those specific duties is, or understandings is that their authority was to be outside of 
of where the church was established with a stake. The minutes even say, it is their duty to go abroad and to regulate and set in order all matters relative to the different branches of the church of the Latter-day Saints. When the 12 are all together or a quorum of them in any church, they have authority to act independently of the church and form decisions, and those decisions will be valid. But where there is not a quorum of them together, they must transact business by the common consent of the church. No standing high council has authority to go into the churches abroad and regulate the matters thereof, for this belongs to the Twelve. So while the Quorum of the Twelve doesn't have the authority to go you know, into the established stake of the church. Now, again, there's, there's, there's only one of them. So it, it's, there's not, there's not a whole lot of areas. They don't have that authority. The high council in Kirtland also didn't have the ability to go regulate the branches of the church, say in Michigan. So there was a high council where the church has its, you know, headquarters there in Kirtland. And then there was the traveling high council or the quorum of the 12 who would then, who would then exercise that authority outside of where the church's headquarters were. Now, remember there is no form of mass communication here. If there's a branch of the church in, you know, uh, in Vermont, uh, well, they are at the mercy of letter writing or people coming to the area to know what's going on in the church. And so it even became even more incumbent upon the Quorum of the Twelve to travel, not just to go preach the word of God, which they do, but also to, to travel through the various branches of the church, wherever the church is established, because it was their duty to organize the church in those areas. Um, it's, it's interesting to note in this, the minutes of this meeting also go on to say the 12 and the 70 have particular, have particularly to depend upon their ministry for their support and that of their families. And they have the right by virtue of their offices to call upon the churches to assist them. So they're going to be traveling so much that they're going to have a hard time holding their own jobs, apparently, is what is going on in, this, in the minutes of this meeting. And that they are going to likely have to require the local church areas that they're in to provide them food and, and whatnot. So the calling of the Quorum of the Twelve is one of nearly constant travel, preaching, and regulation. I know we always try to put things into our own current terms, but there really aren't current terms that would fit it very easily, right? They they certainly aren't just like area authorities, right? They, it's not that they don't have the authority to speak for the church. In fact, they do, but they are limited in those authorities to being outside of where the stake of the church is organized. Now, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I feel like the apostles have authority all over the church today. Yes. What's going to go on is that Joseph is going to continually give more and more and more authority to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. One of the places where this is really seen 
where the Quorum of the Twelve really stand up. And they look, they stand up already on their missions. They are converting thousands of people in places like England or in the eastern states. Like my great-great-great-grandfather who goes on his mission with Wilford Woodruff uh, to the Fox Islands. The, these these men are, uh, are going to uh, be amazing missionaries, by and large. And, and devoted to spreading the gospel. But there's a real crisis point in the church where they really do stand up. And that is after the extermination order in, in Missouri, Joseph's arrested. The presidency of the church is arrested. They're all incarcerated, and the Latter-day Saints are driven violently from Missouri into Illinois. Well, the headquarters of the church was far west at that time. That was the organized location of the church. Joseph is in prison in Richmond and then in Liberty Jail. And so this unique setting up of the Quorum of the Twelve, where they had authority outside of the established headquarters of the church was uniquely positioned to give the Quorum of the Twelve authority over this exodus and over the refugee encampments in in Quincy. The Quorum of the Twelve could take charge. They could excommunicate people that had been speaking against Joseph and led to part of this debacle, which they did. They could... um, organize various church branches, call people to offices, which they did. The Quorum of the Twelve, in this kind of mini uh, interregnum period, where Joseph is certainly alive, but unable to lead the church, the Quorum of the Twelve is able to step in and lead in his absence. Again, what would it have been different if Sidney Rigdon hadn't been imprisoned with Joseph? Maybe. But Frederick G. Williams is actually cut off from the church during this time period. And so you also have this kind of disorganization of the first presidency as well. So you're going to have the Quorum of the Twelve grow in power and authority. And when we come back to this topic again, we're going to continue to trace that growth of power and authority until we get to Joseph's bestowal of the keys of the kingdom upon the Quorum of the Twelve, just prior to his uh, being murdered by a mob in Carthage. The Lord picked these men, and I have no doubt that when they were chosen, they were all worthy. They were all capable of it. That they all had the ability to bring glory to God. The unfortunate thing is, over the course of time, there were those who, who lost the faith, whether it be through the violence in Missouri or the failure of the Kirtland Safety Society. Some of the members of the original Quorum of the Twelve will, will leave the Quorum and leave the church. Others will be dropped from the Quorum for a time, but then be brought back. And so we want to talk about this, the trajectory, the travails of the Quorum of the Twelve, what happens to the original Quorum of the Twelve, and 
which of them maintain being apostles and which of them eventually become apostates. Some will leave the church altogether and never have anything to do with it. Some will leave and then come back. Some will leave and then not come back to our church, but try to form their own churches continually over and over again. And I think that our listeners will find fascinating, or at the very least, they'll get a good nap as we discuss the various ways um, that, that these apostles either grow in their faith and their authority or become challenged by some of the difficulties of the day and apostatize. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.